Good afternoon. Um, it probably isn't afternoon when you're listening to this, but it is afternoon right now. Um, I have a sore throat, so please excuse me for this podcast today. But we continue season four and we're full steam ahead in December with uh, season four where we're discovering the Nautilus period. And for today's episode, episode 37, we're going to be looking at a comedy drama um, that was released in the summer of 2006. It's the slightly raw yet entertaining film Little Miss Sunshine, directed by Jonathan Drayton and Valerie Farris, who happen to be a married couple, and starring Greg Kinnear, Steve Carell, Tony Collette, Paul Dano, Abigail Breslin, and Alan Arkin. What does it mean to be a family? to be there for each other i guess we all have our things going on in our lives and as inconvenient as things may be in terms of attending a wedding that you don't want to go to because you're going to be bored or you're going to miss the football or you have to cancel on your friends because you have to go see your grandparents these things are an indication of what it is to be human we don't have to be there for each other all the time but what matters is that we're there when it does matter the jokes and the meanness stop the long times you haven't spent together are irrelevant because at the end of the day Family is family, and you'll do anything for them, really. So often, Hollywood focuses their drama genre mainly on dysfunctional families, usually around the festive period, like Christmas, because it's that one time a year where you visit family members you only see once a what, once a year. Some family members you don't even know the names of because you're going there as a formality. Buying gifts for people you don't even speak to just because of the build-up of Christmas and the magical spirit that's in the air. Birthdays, those occasional cards you get from some relative from another country or someone you never see. It's just part of this system. But nonetheless, opening a present, reading a card from anyone addressed to you is nice and it brings a smile to your face. Now those long trips to your relatives who usually are so far away from each other and notoriously known to be boring, not fun. A build-up to a weekend of manners and no TV. It's just not how you want to spend your weekend. But if you do want to impress the in-laws to show off your kids, you do it because you said you were going to do it two months ago and now you're running out of excuses. But most of all, you do it because you have to, because they're your family and family is very important because at the end of the day, it only takes one moment for that whole weekend for them to really make you happy. Tales of your youth, a story that you didn't know about yourself. And right there, it makes your whole journey worth it. And that is exactly what it's about, that journey with your family. Life is one big journey and you share most of it, especially the start of it, with your family. And then you eventually branch off and expand to make your own family. And before you know it, you need to display your families to others. Even those you didn't even see it before, you know, you started your own family. It becomes to us a chore to write that card to an uncle or visit that family member up north or not tell them that they are invited to a wedding or that you're not a fan of their other half. As Hollywood does so well, it makes films, TV shows, even music videos relatable, relatable for us to watch and think, Jesus, how do they know? This is why dramas are amazing to watch. They are exploiting this idea of a tension between an unease of family members. They tend to solve around secrets, things being kept from their partners, kids breaking their rules, but they all end up pretty much restoring the balance at the end of this show or film or music video because they all come together in a way that's usually unexpected it seems to be a common interest now in films that now expand in many genres this idea of dysfunctional families i mean if you look at uh what was i watching the other day knives out on amazon prime that's about a dysfunctional family fine over secrets silver linings playbook about the son hereditary about the family members it's i mean especially if you look at Christmas films, um, that they really do have a dysfunctional family. I mean, the reason I mentioned Silver Linings Playbook and Knives Out, I mean, they 
they really show the real caliber of a good story but I urge you to find one Christmas movie that isn't based on a dysfunctional family. The very premise of a good Christmas movie is a dysfunctional family. Love Actually, Die Hard, Fred Claus, Jingle All the Way, The Holiday, Klaus, The Santa Claus. It's what these holiday films are about. Not Christmas, but using Christmas as this relatable backdrop to bring this theme of family together and also exploit the troubles that they have inside with each other. So Little Miss Sunshine, yes, it's the name of a beauty pageant, which is the focus of the film. It could relate to the little girl in the movie, or it could maybe relate to the little man books, but I can assure you it's not the latter. So we have a family, all going through their own things, and Tony Collette, the mum of the family, takes in her brother, a scholar, um, played by Steve Carell, who's just tried to commit suicide, much to the annoyance of the husband, but... Family is family because they have to take him in and have to look after him. And also staying with the family is the grandpa who seems to act as the comical relief in this film, but yet kind of the anchor of this whole movie, connecting with every single family member, his son, the father, their two kids, the mother and her brother. Now, during a family meal, we establish clues to the family's history through topics of conversation that they're not that well off. They're struggling, but getting by and they all have their own things going on, which is cleverly shown through the start of the movie where we're individually shown each character behind closed doors. The movie sets up the family brilliantly in the opening 10 minutes so we know who we're dealing with and we wait for the plot to unfold and it actually goes straight into it in the dinner scene where they get a phone call to confirm that Olive is now going to be in Little Miss Sunshine, this beauty pageant which is in California, but they have to get there and they all have their own things going on so they they can't really commit to this but they all have to go. And with some convincing they all have to take the VW, this sort of minivan from one side of the country to the other. Um, And it turns into this um, road trip movie, um, which is already confirmed by the film's distribution and poster. I mean, the film may be put on the black comedy side, but it literally steers away from that. And it turns into a family film with some tragic occurrences happening on the film. I mean, it's not a film that's going to make you laugh in a conventional way, but it is funny. But more importantly, the film is trying to be unique. And I believe it accomplishes that with the style of um, genre it's going for. I mean, it's a story about realisation and goal and ambition and getting up after being knocked down. I mean, simply put, from Greg Kinnear's character, the movie is trying to establish what a winner is and what a loser is. And as the film unfolds, we discover the imbalance of this family as they come together than ever before and the true meaning of what it is to be a winner. Um, And I thought this would be quite a fitting film to do, seeming that most people don't really see their families or all of their family members until Christmas time. And then we start to realize the imbalances in everyone's life and how much we don't really know about what's happening in their lives. We just occasionally meet up that one day of the year or that one month of the year and see how everyone's doing. So the film, it cost uh, $8 million to make and it grossed over $100 million. So the film slowly rose to fame as a knockout film. It was included among the uh, 1,001 movies you must see before you die. Um, It won two Oscars at the Academy, one for Alan Arkin as Best Supporting Actor, which was um, deserved, I think, and a first-time nominee for Michael Art. So he was the person who wrote the movie. This was his first writing credit, and he won the Oscar for it. So that was a pretty good start to his writing career. Um, And to make this film, he had to quit his original job, which was Michael Broderick's assistant. He would basically read his scripts for him, um, which is quite a cool job. So he'd be be reading like 200 scripts a month, which is 
a cool job to do, to be fair, but it must get quite excessive at times. But he's now an established um, Hollywood writer, and he's been, I think, the one... He wrote Toy Story 3 right after this, and then he wrote the second Hunger Games. Uh, he did the Tom Cruise film Oblivion, and he was meant to write the seventh Star Wars film, The Force Awakens, and he did write it. And, well, he wrote it, but the studio scrapped it, and then J.J. Abrams took over. I'm not sure what happened, but they must not like the vi- They just didn't like his vision, I guess, and uh, hopefully no hard feelings. But the film is also nominated for Best Film, but sadly lost out to The Departed that year, Martin Scorsese's first win in his career. It was actually the only Best Picture nominee that year not to be nominated for Best Director as well because... I don't know, maybe because there was two of them or the competition was heavy. Uh, I mean, the competition that year was The Departed, Blood Diamond, The Last King of Scotland, Babel, or Babel, I believe it's pronounced, Pursuit Pursuit of Happiness, The Queen. I mean, it was such a big year. The Departed, the most successful film that year, was nominated for five Oscars and winning four of them, including Best Film and Best Director. The only one it didn't win was the one it lost out to Little Miss Sunshine, which was Best Supporting Actor, and that was Mark Wahlberg losing out, of course, to... Alan Arkin. So the film started production in 2001. So the film took the best part of five years to make, which was mainly due to just financial reasons. Also due to the financial reasons, the original story had actually the road trip on the East Coast from Maryland to Florida, but it was shifted to a journey from New Mexico to California, I think, due to the shooting issues and financial issues they were going through. But at the time of filming, they casted a relatively unknown actor by the name of Steve Carell. I mean, the producers of the film were worried because he wasn't a big enough star to be in this film. And they didn't, you know, he didn't have much acting experience in 2001. But because the film took four to five years to sort of just distribute and get out there and confirm this as a movie. By then, Steve Carell had become a massive star in a matter of years. More specifically, just a year before it came out. So The 40-Year-Old Virgin came out in 2005, which was a massive movie, global success. And he won an NBC Emmy Award for The Office, which was a remake of the British one from Ricky Gervais. And he um he won a Golden Globe for Best Leading Actor. So his his you know his career was on a high then. And it was only honestly just a span of one year did Steve Carell become a massive star. And the producers had gone from protesting his casting to now begging him to do like prominent promotions for this film. And we also have Abigail Breslin in this movie. You might have seen her from Signs. Uh, she earned her first Oscar nomination in this movie playing Olive. She's the cutest little girl. This young, naive girl who um, she actually had to wear a fat suit in this movie to make her look more plum and physically bigger than the beauty pageants at the end of the movie. And her on-screen mum, Tony Collette, and her have both been in M. Night Shyamalan movies, which is a cool connection. Um, she was in Signs, like I just mentioned, and Tony Collette was in the wonderful Sixth Sense. So I'm sure they were chatting about their previous directors while they had some time on set. So the scene at the end actually um, features real-life winners of past beauty pageants. They even wore the same costumes, including hair and makeup, and, for- and performed the same talent routines as well as they did when they were real real life pageants on real shows, which is uh, pretty interesting. That's why they look so good, or scary in my opinion. So the movie itself, it focuses on the journey on getting to Little Miss Sunshine contest, a competition where we know so little about. We just know that Olive is somehow going to be performing at this pageant, something where we as the audience are holding out reservations for, because Olive is beautiful, yes, but she wears glasses, she's overweight and well... She's not your typical beauty pageant contestant, but this is parked aside, this ambiguity. And we our focus is more on the other family members, each desperately different, and each of them with their own problems or obstacles, in fact. And they all have these different and unreachable goals. They have somewhat 
inappropriately latched onto them uh you know to the you know to the outside world you could say that these guys are kind of losers as the stereotypes would call it none of them are really top of their game well maybe steve carell is but you know he's now going through personal loss so i was reading something quite interesting regarding the inner themes to this movie and we have these characters who are forced to be in each other's lives in fact together in this journey uncle frank and Dwayne, uh paul dano and steve carell the son and the uncle each were representing a theme through this idea of a philosopher so steve carell is a pro scholar and Uncle Frank evidently is an admirer of Frederick Nietzsche, that of um, which is um, Paul Dano's character. So Uncle Frank is, yeah, he's this pro scholar, and he's paired up with this, you know, Nietzsche reading vow of silence nephew Dwayne. And this is not just a superficial pairing because slivers of pro and Nietzsche thinkings are about the meaning of suffering and which articulates what this movie is really about which is quite interesting and you've got these sort of similarities you know because Nietzsche once said that God is dead and Dwayne's got the inscription of Jesus was wrong on his top and you know you, you get where they're coming from if you know the philosophers at hand as well but it's it's, it's quite interesting I think Pro I think once said that you know um, I was reading it and that of, of our lifetime of suffering that we can actually find happiness or coming from another direction. It's the experiences of suffering throughout life that brings meaning and allows us to know happiness, which is kind of a metaphor for what's happening in this movie as well, which is, I think, quite interesting. Dwayne and Frank, therefore, are like contrary but similar lost souls who are in the movies. You know, they're kind of the movie's victim in a way. They're like dueling philosophers who are on the end of a pier overlooking an unpredictable deep and dark ocean trying to analyze the human condition and find meaning in man's suffering. I mean, when the movie begins, each of the Hoover family members are unhappy, except for the hopeful Olive, and she's invited to the pageant. The source of their sadness is the self-indulgent moral beliefs that dominate their lives. It is as if Dwayne's larger-than-life-size bedsheet of painting of Nietzsche that hangs on his bedroom wall has brought a curse to the whole household, so that each member seeks a passion of own of their own regardless of anyone else's needs i mean this is clear tunnel vision um and like nietzsche each character falls in their life's pursuit and falls into suffering despair which you know is quite a morbid way to look at it but it's sort of the theme of the movie it was quite an interesting blog actually it totally sets up the movie in the opening 20 minutes i mean the the entire connection can be deduced from the opening scene and therefore we know the ins and outs of every single character you know the vow of silence the suicide the reaching of a goal so high the drug addict it's all there so the movie is just being open with us and with all these faults and more importantly juxtaposing this with the innocence of olive who is you know, the glue of this family, she holds them together. She's the reason they go on this journey. And without thought, it's what brings them together, this journey of self-discovery and this realization that these faults in their lives, these somewhat distractions have consumed them to be spiteful to each other. I mean, the beauty of this film ends with the revelation that with, you know, when this idea of winning is thrown into Olive's face, that they deem her, you know, not good enough for her to win. And yet all of them come to her aid and in a way themselves break free quite literally in dance, where I think is one of the best scenes of the year. And I read that Greg Kinnear was actually self-conscious about dancing because his wife made fun of his dance moves at their wedding once. So he was so, he was really self-conscious that he requested the dancing to be eliminated from the film, but they obviously couldn't get rid of it. It's a really important scene. So he just had to suck it up and do it. But the ending is a moment to enjoy, a moment that many of us choose to bat an eyelid to. It's a moment where if we put our phones down 
If we, yeah, if we just put our phone down and look up, we can experience the presence. The harshness of this scene is that the problems are still there. Dwayne is still going to be colorblind. Uncle Frank is still recovering from his lost job and the love of his life. Uh, Richard failing of his book, you know, failing his book deal. And of course, grandpa, who sadly dies right before this happens. The problem will still remain there. And it's quite, sh- it's shown quite cleverly through the last scene when they, um, when they're pushing the VW, the struggle remains of pushing again, but the current of what is liberating uh, from the dancing, the idea of a family and the idea of winning and losing. She may not have won the competition, but there is so much more to winning. And I think Richard in that scene, the person that is always been pushing this idea of winning and losing finally gets it as he is the first one to sort of just let loose when he goes on stage. You know, failing happens all the time and it's just about picking yourselves up and moving forward. And that's all this movie is trying to say. It's okay if your goal doesn't work out. The fact is that they tried, as Grandpa rightly says to Olive, if you try your best and fail, that's okay. The film brought a refreshing taste to cinema with this dark comedy focusing on winning and losing. And more importantly, the idea of being a family and coming together at the right time. Well, that's all I have time for, Little Miss Sunshine. Truly one of the best indie films done in that decade, if not in the last half century. And I apologise for my sore throat. Um, I have no idea what's going on. I don't think it's COVID-related. I can still smell, so everything is still good here. But anyway, please subscribe to me on Google, iTunes and Spotify. And I'm also on Instagram, uh, Film Exploration AH, or lowercase, or one word. And thank you again for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. 